Thank you for checking out this sermon video here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. You are joining us for our series called Radical Red Letters, Kingdom Living in a Chaotic Land. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text new to hope to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form for you to fill out so we can get to know you better. Once again, thank you for joining us today and enjoy the sermon. I was sitting at my desk this week in my study, getting ready and preparing and digging into this text of Scripture and just spending some time in prayer before the Lord. And it was as if the Lord just laid a question on my heart. And here was the question. What are people feeling today? What are people feeling right now? And I didn't really know the answer to that question that I felt like the Lord had laid on my heart. So I did the only thing I knew to do. I Googled it, right? I mean, what else do we do when we don't know the answer? So I Googled literally that very question. What are people feeling today? An article after article after article about the mental and emotional effects of 2020, a year that will forever live in infamy. And as I went through those articles, just page after page, just reading what people are describing about their feelings right now, I highlighted words, and I want to list some of the words up here on the screen. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is just 10 of the words that people use describing how they're feeling today. Out of control. Sense of loss. Emotionally bulldozed, uncertainty, helpless, exhausted, grief, anxious, depressed, fear. Again, not an exhaustive list, but as I Googled that question and just began to peruse articles, these words and phrases were all listed in multiple articles that I found online. I want to ask you a question. Whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, can anyone identify with any of those words or phrases? Let me see some response, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. If we're going to be honest, all of us can identify probably with at least one of those, if not more than one of those words. I told you last weekend that as I look around at the world around me, I sense chaos. And we define chaos as a situation in which everything is confused and in a mess. We're living in a world, in a set of circumstances in our country and in countries around the world that's literally, it seems like confusion every day and everything seems like it's in a mess. It's as if our normal rhythm of life has been turned upside down and what we're left with, it seems, is a lot of these feelings 
and emotions. And the reality is if we allow the world around us to be the dominant influence in our lives, then our only response mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually is a lot of what you see on this screen. But Paul warns us in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. It literally means don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. What if I told you today that there's another way than this? What if I told you that we have another alternative? What if I told you I could replace all of this with one word that could be the defining reality of your life? Anybody ready to trade all this in? You didn't, I didn't hear you. Anybody ready to trade all this in? Here's the word. Blessed. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. And when I say blessed, I'm not talking about hashtag blessed, all right? I know that's a thing. I know that people do that. And mostly when they've gotten a raise or gotten a promotion in their business or a new car, you get the hashtag blessed, right? That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the biblical word blessed. The word blessed as it's used in Scripture in the New Testament alone is used over 50 times to describe the reality of the life of of a Christian. It's a word that describes the state of being marked by the fullness of God. Did you hear that? The state of being marked by the fullness of God. It means to be fully satisfied in Him regardless of the circumstances or situations in my life. No matter what comes your way today, no matter what comes my way today, we are, say it out loud, blessed. Blessed. A lot of you who know me personally know that I am a foodie. I enjoy good food. Those of you that don't know me well, look at me and discern pretty quickly. Yeah, he's a foodie, right? I like good food. For that reason, my favorite national holiday is Thanksgiving. I, it's, I know it's just September. I can already smell it. It's around the corner. I start priming my wife right now for the things that I want to see on the table. I'm laying groundwork already for that meal come Thanksgiving. Every year, there are things I know she's already thinking. As she's sitting right there, things that she, well, I may not do that this year. I mean, no, 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 no. It's all, it's game on. It's Thanksgiving, right? I love that day. I look for, I wake up on that day like it's Christmas. And then it comes time to enjoy that food. And you know what it's like on Thanksgiving. All rules are thrown out the window, right? And anybody at my house uses the word diet on Thanksgiving is banned for a year, right? It's not a good word anyway. It's sure not a good word on Thanksgiving. And man, Thanksgiving dinner, you just eat and you eat and you eat until you are what? Fully what? 
stuffed, that's a good word, fully satisfied, right? Until you just can't hold another bite. And we all, we kind of have this, you know, this thing with our napkin in our lap, and we kind of take the napkin as a flag of surrender when we can hold no more, and we lay it down on the plate and say, I am done. Listen, that is the biblical principle of satisfied. What we have been invited into by Jesus is no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter what's happening around you, you and I can experience satisfaction in the fullness of God. And in the midst of a world of chaos, Jesus, we talked about it last week, came into the world and he invited us into this kind of satisfaction. Last weekend, we began a series through a section of scripture called the Beatitudes. In the first century, Jesus stepped into a world that, and if you weren't here last weekend, if you didn't watch online, go back and catch up. We talked about the chaos of the world, spiritually, physically, emotionally, politically. It was a world much like we're living in today where there was division and strife and anguish and chaos. And Jesus stepped into that world and he called his disciples away to a radical way of life. I want to read the whole section one more time this weekend. Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, open it. Beginning in verse number (laughs) 1. I'll put it up here on the screen. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he, after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Now, that's what Jesus did. We unpacked that last weekend. Now we want to jump into what he said. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you heard it over and over and over again, Jesus uses this word blessed or blessed, depending on how it's being used in the context. And he's using this word to describe the life that he's called us to. Let me give you a definition today of what these declarations are, these beatitudes. There are eight of them that we're going to unpack. We're going to do one this weekend and then one each of the next seven weekends. Here's a definition. These are eight radical declarations of kingdom living resulting in contentment in the midst of the chaos. The promise of Jesus is that in the midst of the chaos, you and I living out these radical declarations can experience the satisfaction that comes with the fullness of God. And get this, this is a satisfaction we can experience now. 
A lot of people think the promises connected to the Beatitudes are something that's out there for us in the future when we get to heaven and when Jesus' kingdom comes on earth. But I want you to listen to what Greek scholar William Barclay, he's a phenomenal Greek scholar, wordsmith. I don't always agree with his theology, but his, his study of these words is so good. Listen to what he says about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not simple statements. They are exclamations. That is most important for it means that the Beatitudes are not pious hopes of what shall be. They are not glowing but vague prophecies of some future bliss. They are congratulations on what is. The blessedness which belongs to Christians is not a blessedness which is postponed to some future world of glory. It is a blessedness which exists here and now. The greatness of the Beatitudes is that they are not wistful glimpses of some future beauty. They are not even golden promises of some distant glory. They are triumphant shouts of bliss for a permanent joy that nothing in the world can ever take away. What Jesus has invited us into as his followers is to experience the fullness of God, the fullness of the kingdom, and the blessedness which accompanies that. So we want to unpack these eight. We're going to start with the first one. So look back at verse 3, and I'll read the first one, and we'll unpack it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here's the first question I want to ask and answer. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, first of all, let me tell you a couple of things it does not mean. He's not talking here about financial poverty. Some people take this text of Scripture and run to an extreme, saying that all wealth is bad, money is evil. The Bible says money is evil, but the Bible doesn't say money is evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. This is not a declaration calling Christians, followers of Jesus, to pursue a life of poverty to enjoy blessing. This is not a celebration of being poor. The second thing this is not is this is not a call to have a spirit of inferiority. Some people say to be poor in spirit means you got to walk around with this, I'm a nobody, I'm good for nothing, nobody likes me. We think of Eeyore, right? When we think of poor in spirit, Eeyore, nobody remembers my birthday. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says, be poor in spirit, then what does he mean? Well, let's unpack the two words. Literally in the Greek language, it's just two words. It's the word for poor and the word for spirit. In the Greek language, there are two words translated into English with the word poor. One of them means somebody who has a job and they're able to make a living, but they're not able to make a living to have very much. They would be on the lower end of the financial spectrum. They're never able to get ahead. They have means, but they just don't have much. The other word for poor is a word that comes from a root verb, which means to crouch or to bend the knee. 
And it describes a type of poverty that is so poor, it means they have absolutely nothing and their only option is to get down on their knees and beg from somebody else so that they can survive. Well, which word do you think Jesus uses here? He uses the second of those words. He's describing those who have absolutely nothing. He's describing abject poverty. He's using a word that speaks about utter helplessness. But then he adds this word, spirit. The word spirit is a word that refers to the soul or the immaterial part of the human being. You could literally translate Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 like this. Oh, the blessedness of the spiritually poor. Oh, the blessedness of the spiritually bankrupt. So let me give you a definition. Here's what it means to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to recognize one's own spiritual poverty apart from the grace of God. Amen? To be poor in spirit is to recognize one's own spiritual poverty apart from God's amazing grace. Unfortunately, inside the church, we have a lot of pride, right? As a matter of fact, the church is one of the few places where I know people can strut sitting down, right? A lot of arrogance inside the church. And yet Jesus is calling us as followers of Jesus to a radically different way of life, to a way that recognizes spiritually we are utterly helpless, we are hopeless, we have nothing to bring to the table apart from God's amazing grace. Paul understood this. In his own declaration in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes that the reality of our spiritual bankruptcy. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were, say the next word out loud, you were what? Say it. Can you get any more helpless than that? What can a dead person do for themselves? Be dead, right? A dead person can't do anything. And Paul is talking to all of us before Christ, and he said, before Christ, you were what? Dead. That means hopeless. That means helpless. That means no ability. That means there's nothing we can do to change our condition. You were dead in what? In your trespasses and sins. Spiritually, we were dead apart from Christ. Then he talks about how we were dominated by our sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we also lived according, uh, formerly uh, lived according to the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And then get this, we were by nature children of wrath. He's talking about how we were doomed. We were damned to eternity apart from God because we were dead in our sin and we were dominated by sin. But then look what he says. But God. Amen. Two of the greatest words in the Bible. But God. 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Listen, if I am a child of God, If I am a citizen of the kingdom, if my life has any value in the kingdom, it's not because of my spiritual strength. It's not because I've made better decisions than other people. It's not because of my family heritage. It is only because of the amazing grace of God. Now, there are two implications to this I want to share with you. Number one, being poor in spirit is the way to enter the kingdom of God. Do you remember the story in the Bible of a man named Nicodemus? If you're not familiar, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler among the Jews. It meant he was a person that was respected and looked up to. He was a person of high moral value. He was a person that believed in God and knew the Scriptures. Let me read it to you in John chapter 3. Here's his story. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the what? The kingdom of God. Here was Nicodemus with all his spiritual accolade, all his spiritual strength, and Jesus just stopped him and said, Nicodemus, you are hopeless. You are spiritually bankrupt unless you're born again. What did it mean to be born again? Well, it doesn't mean to find religion. It doesn't mean to join a church. It doesn't mean to turn over a new leaf or get baptized. To be born again, the word born means what you think it means, to be born. The word again means anew or from above. Jesus is referring to a second birth that is not our physical birth. It is a spiritual birth from above. Why do we need that? Because we're dead in our sins. How do we get in on that? Poor in spirit. You say, what do you mean? You have to reach the place in your own life where you acknowledge before God that there is nothing you can do to save yourself. There is nothing you can do to earn a right standing before God. It doesn't matter how good you try to be, how religious you try to become. We've all sinned against God, and because of our sin, we're dead in our sin. We're dominated by that and we're doomed to an eternity separated from God but if we'll come to a place in our life where we are poor in spirit we acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves and we throw ourselves on the amazing grace of God and the provision that he made in Christ through his death burial and resurrection you and I then by faith can be born again It's what Paul wrote at the end of that section I read a moment ago. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Listen to this. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Here's what that means. If you're here today or you're watching online and you somehow think 
man, I know I need a change in my life. Things aren't going good. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm going to try to earn God's favor. I'm going to try to earn God's love. I'm going to try to earn God's acceptance. Let me tell you what, you will never be saved. The only way to be saved is to realize there is nothing I can do in myself. I am spiritually bankrupt. I got to get down on my knees like a beggar and acknowledge before God that I've sinned against God and that the only hope of salvation I have is in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The only way to enter the kingdom is poor in spirit. Now, maybe you're here or watching and you've never come to that place, but you have today. Maybe you've realized for the first time it's not up to you to try to save yourself. I want to pause for just a minute. I'm not done, so don't, don't turn me off yet, all right? And don't turn that TV off. I'm not finished. But I want you to just bow your head for just a minute. If you're here today or you're watching online and you've never come to the place where you acknowledge your utter spiritual bankruptcy before God, that apart from Him, you're lost and you are destined to an eternity set. Listen, if you think, well, I'm too good a person for, for to ever be served. No, no, listen. If you've never come to the place where you acknowledge your lostness, your spiritual poverty before God, right now I'm inviting you to cry out to God and to declare to Him, God, I am poor in spirit. I am spiritually bankrupt. But I know that you love me. And I invite you to come into my life, Jesus, and to give me life and be the Lord and Savior of my life. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is by being poor in spirit. Aren't you can look this way. Listen, if for the first time in your life, you've come to a place where you've acknowledged your spiritual bankruptcy before God and cried out to Him, I want to invite you to, to take out your smartphone and text us. You can text the number 94090, and in that, that blank, you just put the word Jesus follower. Reach out to us at 94090, and we will walk with you. We'll reach out to you, and we'll walk with you on what it means to have a relationship with God and what it means that you've become His child. But the second reality out of this, not only is being poor in spirit the only way to enter the kingdom, here's the second reality. Being poor in spirit is the only way to enjoy the fullness of the kingdom of God. Did you hear what he said? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not a once and done thing in the Greek language. It's in the present active tense. It means it's an ongoing, continuous action of enjoying the fullness of God's kingdom. You see, many Jesus followers understand that the only hope they had of being saved is the grace of God. But now that they are saved, they believe it's up to them to now live the Christian life. Let me ask you a question. If that's your mentality, I know I couldn't save myself. I know only Jesus could save me. But now that I am saved, now I know it's up to me to live it. Let me ask you a question. How's that going for you? If it's like my testimony, not very well. Because here's the reality, you need the grace of God as much on this side of salvation as you needed it on the other side of salvation. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine. It's getting real clear here. I'm the vine. You're the branches. 
Now, here's what we know. The life resides in the vine. Amen? Not in the branches. The life is in the vine. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Say it out loud. You know what that means in the Greek language? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, it's a double negative used emphatically, which means you could literally translate it absolutely nothing, meaning this. Yes, on the other side of the cross, you and I were hopeless and destitute and helpless, and only the grace of God could bring us into the kingdom. But now on this side of the cross, guess what? You and I are hopeless and helpless apart from the amazing grace of God to bring anything of value into the kingdom. That's why Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. There is no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. It is the fundamental characteristic of the Christian and of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And all the other characteristics are, in a sense, the result of this one. Everything else we're going to unpack really is rooted in you and I realizing our complete desperation for God. To be poor in spirit is to realize that apart from the amazing grace of God, I am helpless. So then, in the minutes we have left, let's apply this into the world of chaos that we're living in. So what does it look like in my life practic- practically to live poor in spirit? I want to give you two. We could probably identify more, but we don't have time for that. So let me give you two. Number one, my life should revolve around the king and his kingdom. If you and I are going to live as followers of Jesus, poor in spirit, It means that our lives now revolve around the king and his kingdom. You see, a lot of Christians, oh, they've embraced Jesus. Oh, they want the kingdom of God when it's out there in the future somewhere. But they've kind of put Jesus on the side. That's another part of my life. But what we've really been called to here is a life of being poor in spirit, meaning that our lives revolve around the king and his kingdom. Let me me make it real plain. Let me ask you a question. What is your primary identity? Conservative? Liberal? If you get on social media very much... It looks like that's a lot of followers of Jesus' primary identity. I'm conservative. I'm I'm liberal. Or is it I'm a Republican? Or I'm a Democrat? I'm on the left or I'm on the right. Or I'm white. Or I'm black. Or I'm American or I'm Mexican, or I'm African, or I'm Cuban. 
If we are going to live out practically pure in spirit, poor in spirit, above all else, we are children of the king and ambassadors of the kingdom. Here's what that means. Any other label you wear, I don't care what it is, any other label you wear is secondary to your calling as an ambassador of Christ and his kingdom. That's what it looks like to live out practically this identity of being poor in spirit. Let me, let me just try to make it real plain. Meaning this, if you label yourself a Republican, your primary agenda is not the agenda of the Republican Party. Your primary agenda is Christ and his kingdom. If you call yourself a Democrat, your primary agenda is not the agenda of the Democratic Party. It is the agenda of Christ and his kingdom. That's what it means to let my life revolve around the kingdom. The same thing is true about us as Americans. Our primary identity is not that we are American. Our primary identity is that we are called to be ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom. And here's the reality. Everything in my life is dependent upon my relationship to King Jesus. Now here's what that means. My wife is sitting over here. If I want to find satisfaction in my marriage relationship, if I want to find blessed in my marriage, that is discovered as I live my life in a way that revolves around the king and his kingdom. Because here's the reality. I'm poor in spirit, which means what? I'm hopeless. Meaning this, I have no shot at living out the claims that Jesus has placed on me to be the husband that loves his wife as Christ loves the church. I can't do that in my own strength, but guess what? Through Christ, I can. As I live poor in spirit, I experience the fullness of the kingdom of God in my marriage. The same thing is true in my relationship to my children. I cannot be the parent that Christ has called me to be or the grandparent. In my own strength, but as I live poor in spirit, as that is my primary identity, that I'm a citizen of the kingdom and I'm an ambassador of Christ, then I find satisfaction. Listen, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around me because I'm rooted in an identity that is unchanging. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 4. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. You know what that means? doesn't matter what the circumstances are. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What's the secret? Here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. At Hope Church... We've given you a fourfold strategy to establish a starting place for prioritizing the king and his kingdom. I'm going to put a picture up here real quick. It's our fourfold strategy. We call it God time, gather time, group time, go time. What is that? 
Is that just a program in the church? No, that's our way to try to lead the people of hope in a process of disciple-making that allows them to live their life centered in the king and his kingdom, God time, time alone with God daily, gather time, time gathering and worship together because we need to be under the word and we need to worship group time, doing life together with other believers, go time, sharing in the mission. What is that? It's a starting place for centering our lives in the king and his kingdom. And here's what I found. One of the ways the enemy has used this pandemic is to distract Jesus' followers from the king and his kingdom as their primary pursuit, and now we're focused on politics and self-preservation. How do I take care of me and mine? How do I make sure I'm good? We've so turned inwardly and we've engaged in the political dialogue. Listen, I'm not saying as citizens of the kingdom we shouldn't be engaged in politics. We should be. It's just not our primary identity. So that's the first characteristic. My life should revolve around the king and his kingdom. Here's the second one. The second way to live out this poor in spirit I should see others' lives primarily through the filter of the king and his kingdom. Not only should I live my life primarily revolving around the king and his kingdom, the way I view other people, the primary filter, here's what it ought to be, the king and his kingdom. One of the reasons our world is in such chaos right now is we live in a world of us and them. We got all kinds of categories. I mentioned a few a moment ago. Republican, Democrat, black, white, American, immigrant, conservative, liberal. And here's what I found on social media. In every one of these arenas, everybody's an evangelist preaching the gospel of their own agenda. But for citizens of the kingdom, there's ultimately only two categories. And those categories are those who know the king and are citizens of his kingdom and those who are not. Hear my heart. When Jesus comes again, how people voted in the upcoming election will not matter at all. Now, don't walk out of here and say, Pastor Van says we shouldn't vote. That's not what I'm saying. Voting is important. But if you care more about how your neighbor votes than where he or she will spend eternity, your heart is not devoted to Christ and his kingdom. If we were as bold in proclaiming the only message that can change the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we are in proclaiming our political ideology, we would turn the world upside down. I'll close. I read a devotional today. Pastor Rick Warren's a good friend. He's been a friend for years. I love him dearly. I'm thankful for his influence. He writes a daily devotion on his website, pastorrick.com. 
Today's devotional was entitled Unfairness Points Us to Jesus. Listen to what he said. The reality is without God in the situation, people treat each other inhumanely. And that's the heart of injustice and unfairness in our world. From despotic dictators to crushing poverty to racial tension in our communities. This unfairness shows us we need Jesus. God wouldn't have needed to send his son to die on the cross if people were generally good. The vast injustices in our world make it clear that humans can't live moral lives on their own. You know what that means? We're spiritually bankrupt. Next time you're treated unfairly, let it be a reminder. Every person on this planet, including you and me, needs Jesus.